Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We are on the downhill slide of the work week. Another take two this week, and we're doing it uh, right before Jim tries to leave us for a while. He's going on some exotic trip. Greg's going to stick around, though. I am. I don't live the... Hollywood life of Jim DeBacchus. Where is Jim I'm Hollywood just here going? Working. Yeah. Jim Hollywood is going south of the border down to Argentina. Oh, that'll be fun. What are you going to do there? Yeah, you know, it's a good time to look at property and things oh, down gosh, there. I can do that because I don't have to run the he city. He wants to create his own banana republic. I'm just telling you now. I already heard about it. He's, it's, it's the Greg's world already, according to Jim. And it's Greg not a place has already created go. one here, so yeah. I'm going down there. <laughs> okay, so while you brought up the fact that um, you're not in a mayoral election right now, that you have to worry about... Uh, we have 400,000 people nationally who signed up on uh, voter registration day. So it looks like people are excited for this midterm election. And here in Utah, I think the most exciting race we have is the Salt Lake mayoral race. Have you decided that you have a candidate you're willing to back, you're going to back, or are you going to be like Mitt Romney and back no candidate for the 2020 election? You know, so I got a long time on an airplane between now and Monday. And so I announced on social media that on Monday I'll say, um, exactly what I think about the mayoral race. It's not. It, it's not. It's not an easy decision for me. I have some questions, and I said to both candidates, "Look, you want my votes? I can't deliver them. I, I don't. I don't think people. I don't think politics works that way. Where you say, just because somebody voted for you, doesn't mean necessarily that they're going to take your vote. Yeah. But I said, here's what I want you to do." Come on, Facebook Live with me. I want to ask you hard questions because I know the real questions. So you're going to be the interviewer, okay? Yeah, and um, uh, Lou's never answered. I sent her an email, and Aaron said, uh, sent back, said, nope, not coming. So you know, they, I get it. They're in a campaign, Are they afraid and of you? they're seeing what's the upside to going on live with Tobacco's because he may be asking some stuff like inland port stuff. And, and a lot of stuff. So And sometimes you say inappropriate things, and they don't want that to stick. <laughs> I'm, could, ju I'm just saying. It could be. It could be. Okay, so. Um, I mean, less you, offended on But the you Democrat really haven't made up your mind today. You're going to make it up I, on the I honestly haven't. I mean, there's several, uh, there's several kind of real important issues. The Inland Port is really important to me, and there's stuff there that hasn't come out. And I think both candidates have, have played a part in that where, the word hasn't come out, so I want to. I want to look at that. Neither of them have been particularly. I, I can't find anything that either of them has ever done for the arts. You know, I'm not saying they're anti-arts, but there isn't one bit of passion in either of their records, and uh, that bothers me a little bit. I want to see if I can find out some more about that. Also, maybe the single biggest issue. This is a city. But more important, it's a corporation with a $300 million budget and almost 3,000 employees. And the question is, how many direct line people have you ever been the boss of? And I don't think either of them has ever governed more, had 
a staff that they were in control of more than four or five people. I mean, that's an issue. So the issue becomes, all right, not, not can you do it, it is, how are you going to hire people so that you can do it? Because I don't, I, I don't believe you can go from never having managed more than three or four people to, to managing 3,000 people um, How many people have like you managed? That. No, for reals. Um, I'm just wondering. You know, I've had times when companies that I've been an important part of had in the, in the thousands of employees. I mean, um, so as a direct... As a direct manage, I mean, if I'm talking to the general manager or the president of the company and then th that company has this yeah. many employees, it, it's, it's, it's not exactly the same. But you get a sense. And so of all the things that the mayor does, being the manager of the city and of those budgets and the employees is really the most important thing because no matter what your dreams are, you can't get there unless you know how to manage people. Look at look at the Trump White House. I mean, if you want an example of uh, what Good happens when someone that managed a lot of people and employees <laughs> yeah. and is doing a great job yeah. for America, exactly what I was going to say, Good Greg. So, so, Greg, um, obviously you don't live in Salt Lake City, no. but I think people care about Salt Lake City. It's our capital city. It yep. matters to the state. It matters. A lot of people are making this election into an east and west side issue now because it's been a long time since we've had someone on the west side of the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, is it an east and west side issue, or is it much bigger than that? Well, I, you know what? I hope that it's um, that. The, the issues that are taken on, they're looking at the whole city, but it is hard to ignore the fact that the west side of Salt Lake City has um, has not been as part as as strong of a part of the, the discussion and conversation as certainly the east side of Salt Lake City has in terms of donors, in terms of issues, arts, things like that. I think the Inland Port does play a, an aspect to that. I think the kind of jobs and economic opportunities that could be brought to people that live in Salt Lake City, I, I think that you want to see those economic opportunities. You want to see prosperity for the whole city. Uh, it's very easy for people that live on the East Bench to say, we don't want to have that manufacturing or that might be uh, a little dirtier than what we want by way of jobs. Nice to say if you have a job. Nice to say if you like your job. What about the people that are looking for better, looking for more? Salt Lake City has a lot of people that are looking to, to do better than they might be doing today, and I think they need a voice, a stronger voice than they've had. That's not saying that I'm picking one of the candidates, because I've got to work with both of them. I wouldn't do that to either of them, because whoever I'd pick, it would be the death knell to that, camp, to that candidate. So you're not going I to pick so them I won't right now. Pick. But I, I just want to say one thing about Jim. Uh, Jim was a candidate in that race. Absolutely. The one thing I, I can say about Jim is that he has been so passionate about issues, state issues, local issues, and his willingness or even desire to continue to engage in that in that cycle. Um, I hope people understand what that means. It means that you have someone that's always been, he's been a public servant, he's been in the arena, and he wants to continue that rich and actually substantive dialogue. And hats off to, for Jim because he could easily say, okay, everyone, have at it. Good luck to you. But he's not. He wants to. He wants to actually do that. And I've got to I, go I to Argentina for a month. You've got to be careful. They're going to think you two are friends. I know. Um, I hope the, you are going to get your melon ballot, or do you have it sent the, to Argentina the, to you the, to get the, it sent in on time? There's one other issue. Okay. I haven't figured that out yet. That that is important, and we haven't done a good job as a city of talking to the giant elephant in Salt Lake City. I mean, I went out with an incredibly high city official one time. That's a Republican, that elephant. <laughs> this, in this case, it is, but not directly. So 
I went out. I, I I arranged a meeting with a member of with President Uchtdorf of the LDS Church. Okay. So as we're getting there, this city official says, um, "Now, who is this? Is this one of the 70? And it dawned on me that this whatever religion doesn't have anything to do with it. This is a Vatican. This is a world headquarters. From tourism to the fact that the church has according to Michael Quinn, 40 to $50 billion a year in income. And they're building and investing money in Atlanta and in Philadelphia and in Washington and in other places. I'll tell you, if I were going to be mayor, I would get a little pup table and I would set it right outside of the presiding bishop's office and I would be feeding every contract that came in and says, what about housing? Who better to fund housing because they're not looking for that quick turnaround, you know, and whatever. And I would be saying, hey, what about our great boulevard idea for State Street? It is time that we dumped all the talk about religious ideas, whether they're good or bad or ugly, and started talking about, look, together, let's make our city, your capital, your Vatican, and our Gentile city into this world amazing place and we're not going to do that unless we have a broad open hug for money and for investment for and for uh, for engaging the church in in the things that will be great for both of us and I, I that was number one on my priority list as mayor because that is that's been an astonishingly stupid element that too many city governments have have just missed and I, I think being kind to that uncle that's there would bring great benefits and jobs and a lot of other things. Both of you saying things that make you unpopular. I know sometimes when you support sitting down with LDS church leaders, you get flack online. You're going to get flack for being nice to Jim. So thank you, boys. I'm used to it. All right. Well, we're talking about elections that people <laughs> are, are or are not involved in. Um, this week is a big week. Uh, the Huntsmans are leaving their ambassadorship in Russia. I believe they'll be back here in Utah in a couple of days now. A lot of people waiting to see if they'll announce to be in the gubernatorial race. Greg Miller yesterday came out and said he's not going to run in 2020. There are a lot of other names. In Free the car for everybody is gone. <laughs> That's oh, gone. That's go. off the table now. Gone. I would vote for that. Darn it. That I know. Good so Greg Hughes, I hear, is still um, thinking about working towards and actually has a lot of money in his war chest. I'm speaking like that weird third person thing on... Uh, I don't know. What show yeah. is that? Seinfeld at night? Let's not do that. So let's <laughs> talk about you. Are you raising money? I'm, you know, I'm sitting right here. Okay. I'm, I'm right here. <laughs> You're talking about me. Uh, no, look, here, here's the, uh, we have, a, I have a political action committee, uh, a PAC account, and it was one I started when I was speaker. And the law for a, a political action committee account is that in the end of September and the end of October and at the end of the year, you have to disclose uh, contributions received and dollars spent. Uh, in our race for governor, where if you have an elections uh, campaign in 2020 and 2019, you're only required to disclose at the very end of the year those that type of information, what you've collected and what you've spent. Uh, we do have an over an umbrella law that requires all uh, PACs as well as campaigns every 30 days after you've deposited something uh, into those respective accounts that you disclose. So we have some information from different people that have announced and that they're running. My disclosure did show that I have been raising uh, funds and anticipation and looking towards a race for governor. One of the things that, because I'm not uh, a trust fund baby, I don't have the ability to just write the check and fund, self-fund a race. 
a statewide race is really expensive. And so you have to show that your ability to raise funds is real. It's a reality. I don't have any kind of campaign staff. I don't have any intention of announcing a run anytime soon. I actually don't want to spend any money right now if it's going to be so expensive in 2020. But what this my PAC disclosure showed is that uh, with over half a million dollars that we've been able to raise uh, in cash and in kind, uh, I do think there is a path and a viable way to engage and be a serious candidate in that race, but not today. And not that is today. Not, and that is not what I'm here to announce, but I do think it's important that if I would like to have that as an option, I have to show that I, I, I'm the real deal, that I can raise uh, the funds necessary. All right, there are a lot of big names being bantied about still in this election, so I can't wait for the next few weeks it needs and months to, to come. It needs to be a deep pull. It needs to be incredibly qualified candidates because that's what Utah deserves. It really does. It Absolutely. needs to be hard. And you know what? That will be a good thing for every single candidate to make it as tough as possible. I, I think that's a, that's a, I, I like that outcome. All right, I'm excited for it. Um, I want to talk football for a second. Uh, you brought this nice. up, Jim, earlier in the week. Uh, we did a story earlier this week that uh, one local high school had to pay out a fee because they forfeited a game because they had so many kids who were injured and also had concussions. It was a tough call, I think, for the coach because nobody wants to forfeit a game. Uh, Jim, are you in support of this? Look, My mom brain in this is in support of the idea because I'm like, why are we forcing kids when they're in high school? With, that could be doing permanent damage to keep playing. But there's been flack from both sides here. It's so good not to be a politician anymore. Right, because say one moment I can say to Salt Lake City, get with it with the Mormons. Are you out of your mind? We can be building a great city using cash together. That'll get them going in the avenues. Now let me talk to rural Utah. Are you crazy to let your kids play football? Judge Memorial, eight kids since Are they the beginning Utah? of the year... Yeah, you're right. Oh my God! It's a smaller. It's a, it is a smaller uh, division, though, with smaller schools. They so do they play, do play the rural schools. schools. Thanks for saving me. Okay. You're welcome. Okay, eight kids with concussions since That's the beginning lot. of the year, and the, and that was in September. So they their coach made the gutsy decision um, because they're going to play number one Morgan. You know the big fierce guys in their league. And he and there weren't enough varsity players, so they would have had to bring in these puny freshmen. And you know the difference between a freshman in high school and a senior. So he said, "We're not doing that." I mean, it, who knows how many concussions will come away with with that? And then to have this this crowd that runs the high school athletics, these czars who think they run the world find them for not showing up. They should be giving that school and that coach a medal and say, good for you for protecting your athletes, not fining them for not throwing the freshmen in. Would that high school athletic association been willing to pay the hospital bills for immediate concussions and maybe for a lifetime of those freshmen that may have been pounded around, shame on you. So that is an issue. Obviously, high school, whether we're talking the NFL, we're talking college, we're... Football makes money. That makes money for school. So were they right to be fined? We don't even actually know how much the fine is. They're not saying, but they were fined. Is it okay to fine a school because they're not playing, because they couldn't get the ticket sales, they couldn't sell their hamburgers or whatnot? No, I, I think under circumstances like that where they're looking at injuries of students, it's the right thing to do, and certainly you don't want to fine a school because that's a hard thing to do to forfeit a game. And nobody plays that sport or any sport with the idea that they're going to forfeit. And so when they are drawing a bright line, uh, for for at, for the student athlete's safety, there should never be a fine in a circumstance like that. And if that's just the rule, that rule needs to be changed.
particularly if there are injuries. The one thing I'd say, though, about uh, about concussions, I think that I think just society. I mean, I saw a stat a number of years ago that said that the Bingham High School's the average weight of their line was the same as the 1984 BYU National Championship offensive line. So I think just human beings are getting bigger, stronger, faster as life goes on, and we have to be careful about that. But what I also think is happening, the game isn't just getting more violent. I don't think that's the case. I think I think our helmets, I think our safety equipment's improving, but I think our coaches are being more careful, and I think they're spotting some of these big tackles or big hits, what used to be called cobwebs are now being uh, put through a, a concussion protocol, which it wasn't before. And so I think that what you're having, what you're seeing happen right now in sports is that there's a, a much more appropriate focus on the, the health of these students and their health in what's happened to them. And being willing to put them through a protocol or take them off the field if they've had, if they show symptoms of concussions. And I don't think it was that long ago where if someone had those symptoms, they weren't, uh, they weren't trying to shake it off and, and stay in the game. And I think that's why you're seeing the diagnosis more as well. So important, too, because if you want a lifetime of a brain that works or you can play sports, it's just not worth that one game. I know in the moment it probably hurts doing it, but... It's not even worth that sport. I mean, would you quit? I love any, football. It could be any sport, Jim, though. you got to quit my, trying to ban football. My Come son on. plays soccer, and I thought I put him in there. He was playing soccer, and I'm like, oh, this is so much better than playing football. There's no No, they run into each other. Oh, my gosh. His, my daughter They don't have helmets. Yeah, their brains are getting bashed together, twisting ankles and everything. Uh, it's an aggressive world we it live in. It brings up the idea of California now apparently opening the door for their football they players are, and that's to make our list to talk about endorsements. Here today. And Do you support it? Hell yeah. It's about time <laughs> okay. that, uh, look, there is this whole $80 million funnel at the University of Utah bringing all of this money in, you know, and everybody gets it except for the athletes. Yeah, they get an education. Very nice. But if they drop out or a lot of other things, who brings the honey home to mama are those athletes. And so where you have a head coach making $4.5 million dollars, and you have assistant coaches now at Utah making seven hundred thousand dollars. I'm in the wrong career And you path. can't give the athletes a plane ticket to have their parents once a year on homecoming come and fly in and see their kid play football. All of these rules by the NC2A are propagated for these old men who make up the rules to do really well. And uh, maybe not so good for the athletes who are busting their butts every so day. So should the Utah legislature take this up yes. or does it need to be a national champion? Because here no. comes the problem. Why wouldn't we do it? Okay, so what if Utah does it and California does it, and then you have an advantage over recruiting from other states? Does it need to be a national well, world well, champion? That's yeah, it's, it, here's the thing. It's just a, it's a typical California move. I mean, they do it all by themselves. They want it, It's a discussion worth having, but I don't care what state you are. You, you might just disqualify your, your institution of higher learning right out of whatever conferences the NCAA administers, governs, watches over because of the issues you just brought up. Here's the other challenge with paying athletes, which I'm not opposed to because I understand, I think money has become such a driving factor in these decisions. It's really undermining even the integrity of these schools. If you think about the time when the Mountain West Conference was, there was that the schools were leaving and they were looking to go other places. You had university presidents that were lying to one another. Presidents of schools that we send our children to were lying to one another in, in an attempt to try and realign into another conference and, and do things that the money was driving, but integrity would tell you to do otherwise. So I think there's a discussion there. 
But here's the challenge. There are schools that make so much being in a Power Five conference, being a USC, or even U University of Utah in the Pac-12. But there are schools, University of Wyoming, maybe even a Utah State or smaller, that will never be able to be in a position to pay a student the way the big, uh, the big Power Five and conference schools would. And then it's the game fair anymore. And then the you start to separate that out. But yeah. this you just have the haves and have-nots. It's again, it's a college sport. It is not a professional sport. And I think we have to find a way to address the issues about this money game and with colleges. We have to make sure that students can see their parents come. I mean, look, we even had to dealt with this in, when the NCAA changed the rule and allowed for schools to be able to pay for parents. It's great that they allowed that rule. A lot of schools simply can't afford it. Uh, and because they don't have those big lucrative TV contracts and all the things that come with them. So even if the NCAA tries to accommodate for some of those things, there are schools that are at a disadvantage just because they don't have the resources. What do we do about that? I think those are the kinds this is of This a car dealership deal like, like happened to that BYU basketball player. So this doesn't affect the taxpayer, what California did. This um, actually allows them to get endorsement money, which would be a private business kind of thing. But aren't the but, best players all going to go to USC then and not come to Utah? Yep, and we've got to play yep, them. And so it, Utah's so going it's to be on you. Jim wants to have all like the best players. Yankees. You know, uh, uh, we passed the Rubicon in Utah when Lyle Hilliard, the senator from uh, Logan, snuck into an appropriations bill, money to pay athletes at Utah State. Well, that State. was a good bill. That's actually what was on my mind when I said some schools can't afford to do what other so, larger schools do, and that appropriation was meant to try and level that playing field. So it took taxpayers' money, and it threw it in for the first time, and the first year was just Utah State, because Senator Hilliard has so much power, he was chairman of the Appropriations Committee at the time. But then the next thing you know, uh, all the other schools, except for Utah, because it would be a piddling to them with their kind of budgets. They're all there. So now you have millions of dollars a year going from taxpayers' money to pay salaries for football players. You know what? Maybe where we should start is why doesn't the NC2A, which cares about every little thing involved the players, put a cap on what coaches can make? Let's say a million dollars a year for a head coach and $500,000 a year for assistant coaches for every football program in the country. And then there wouldn't, it wouldn't be a competitive issue. It would just put a cap on well, do what we want a to put a cap coach, on how far you can go? What if you're an awesome coach and no matter where you, you go, still get a, you've got the gold touch? You get a million dollars a year. But That's what if enough. You're worth four? What's that? What if you're worth four? Well, then you go to the pros. But we're working for institutions of higher learning, and a million dollars a year for being a football coach is enough. And we put so many caps He's socializing on. Socializing for we, our, our So are you okay now. with this? But, no, but, I'm not. But you're okay. But the NC2A does it with the players. They put caps and socialize it, but and amateurs. won't allow them to be made. Amateur is just a con word to preserve the status quo, which allows caps and no pay at all for players, but says no when it comes to administrators and when it comes to assisting coaches and coaches and the rest, uh, Johnny bar the door, whatever the market will two, pay. Two points. First, I, I want to point out there's uh, the, these appropriations that our legislature did did not pay students to be to play football. There is tuition assistance. Utah State uses that to help 
uh, with getting parents to games or doing some of the things that the NCAA allowed, but they didn't have the resources to be actually be able to do. Weber State uses their tuition assistance to, assistance to keep uh, their campus open and, and professors working in the summer to help student-athletes be able to graduate on time. And so they're using that appropriation to help the student-athletes in their academic progress, which I support as well. To the point that Jim's bringing up about how much money the schools are making, again, I think it's, it's, these are all the issues that need to be discussed. But let's not forget, most of those students that play uh, collegiate sports will not become professionals or make this intergenerational wealth. Uh, the trajectory of many of the young people that play sports are given scholarships full ride where it creates uh, lifetime opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have. So we it pays for their education. We don't want to discount those things either. We want to, I mean, it is, it is absolutely the case with all the different sports we have, and we know which ones are the big paying ones, uh, the, you know, with the TV contracts, the football and the basketball. But what those schools are able to do is they're able to provide contracts for those, or, or rather uh, scholarships for those students, and the trajectory for all those students who don't go to the pros, which is most of them, their lives are better, measurably better for having been to school, getting a college degree, having that opportunity. So we got to put that in the equation as well. Who knew sports could be so political? I know. I know, right? Well, Jim wanted to socialize it. We just had to, we well, had to like, you know, remember, stop everything. Utah State football players did not get a check every month until the Hilliard bill passed. Then they got it. They funged money from other things, and they, they got their NC2A allotted allocation for, um, for a check every month. So Yeah. And schools are mixing it up. They're doing what they had kind of survive. I remember a few years ago, Utah State, it, there were a lot of questions when they were redoing their stadium, and it became Maverick Stadium. It was uh, sponsored by Maverick as in the first stop for adventure. And uh, I think that convenience was maybe store. Yes, I think it's a convenience the convenience store. store. I'm like, what, yeah. is the, what do we call it? But it was the first time, I think, is anywhere else in the state – their stadiums, I'm trying to think. It's all... Commercial. I think that's the only commercial one. Well, Edwards Gas Stations. No. no. So I think they were the first ones to do it. Uh, Raise a lot of questions, but it seems to be working for them. So I don't know. Maybe we could start dumping money into football. We'll have to wait and see. Um, All right. California may lead the way. Speaking of dumping money places, now that we've legalized medical marijuana here in Utah and many other states, whether it's recreationally or whatnot, the problem is it's tough to run a business when federally you're not supposed to. No one wants to touch your money. So they're trying to fix the banking system so that we can have people keep the flow of money going in and out for these programs. Uh, the House had a bipartisan vote. They passed it in Washington before their break. Now it goes to the Senate and Republicans. Talking about D.C. Yeah, um, yeah in D.C. Yep. So what's going to happen here? Are Senate Republicans going to be in favor of this and let the banking system work with it? Or Republicans going to be nervous in Washington to let... The federal banking system allows drug so, money in and out. Yeah, so if we would all as Americans be best served if they would decide whether we have a controlled substance act that's enforceable yeah. or not. Uh, there are some other issues that would just go to the heart of whether medical cannabis, cannabis of any kind, recreational or medical, is going to be illegal or not. We, they have just hands off, don't enforce laws and don't change them. And it has caused absolute chaos. One of those chaotic issues is the banking system. You have to have this because F, all banks are FDA and charter, you know, they're federally insured and, you know, financial institutions, charters, uh, what we call them, credit unions yeah. or banks. Um, they can't take that money. If you lend on that money and it was from cannabis, recreational or medical, the DEA can seize those assets. And so lenders aren't going to have anything to do with it. It is a it is a byproduct of a of a Congress and a federal government that has done nothing on this front and has not fulfilled their obligation. That's what they should be focused on. However, in the absence of that, 
we certainly should have a way to not have to have rogue third-party banking systems running around each state. We should be able to see the banking systems work in this regard. And uh, we have in the bill that we passed, the, the, uh, the compromise or the, the agreement that we did, and then the subsequent um, uh, special session contemplates that if Congress and the government does change the law, the, the, the bills that we passed in the legislature, the laws we now have regarding medical cannabis, will be able to seamlessly shift to whatever accommodation the federal government makes, which we need. So, All right. Can you agree with him on this issue, Jim? You know, I, not only can I agree. So in Colorado, for example, you have stores that do hundreds of thousands a of, of dollars money, yeah. in a day and they have to deal with cash and then they got to they have to put it somewhere it isn't just like it in an armored car too. they yeah. got so it's a it's a preposterous situation so all this bill would have done is said it's okay for banks and credit unions to take money from from legal marijuana so you had our entire congressional delegation in the house vote for it except for the pious chris stewart who washes his hands of anything to do with marijuana, but the other Republicans said that clearly just makes sense to catch up uh, the system with where we are as a country. I still have my challenge to Conyer, Connor Boyack, who is Mr. Compromise, give me the name of a doctor. You know, I keep hearing, oh yeah, doctors are doing it. They're doing um, prescriptions, but it's all secret. Secret doctors that you got to know a secret code. No. I'm waiting for the name of one doctor. Have you in actually Utah. gone to your doctor and asked your doctor? Because that's, I think it's probably more likely that they'll. It's a recommendation. They would recommend it if they have a relationship with you. My doctor, I, I don't think he would give me a rec. I mean, he's a great guy. I said to him one time, look, if I get out of it, I want, I want the shot. And he said, Jim, I love you. I'm not giving that to you. So, you know, the shot to put me to sleep oh, when like, I can't do anything anymore. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think okay. you got to have that chat. I, and, uh, he's, These are end of life precautions. I know, this is this like a very different I mean, I don't think you do it. But, um, but I don't think I, quali I don't qualify that, that I know of. But I'm saying, why is it so secret? Give me the name. Somebody of one doctor that's given out prescriptions. But okay. You have to know the hotline number. No. I don't you got to get a hundreds of doctors bishop's recommendation. This. I don't know what it oh is. Oh my gosh, Jim! All right, I'm going to get you a name so you can go get it. Get yourself your um, recommendation. Okay, I want to talk about um, since you're talking about end of life. This is going to be a transition. You freaked me out a little bit there. I don't even know Did how you, you segue into that. Doctor? No, I have not talked about don't end you of life procedures. Talk to him? I don't. It seems a little bit uh, no. like bad karma. I want my doctor to know that if I'm just sitting there for days, that you know. Psh, yeah. Yeah. Do it. No, Maybe you should yet. talk to your husband about these issues. I don't know. Stephen can. All right. Handle. We want to talk about old people that are reaching their end of life. And when I say old people, they're not really old. They're running for president of the United States of America. <laughs> Bernie Sanders, if you're listening to our podcast, we wish John you a McCain. speedy uh, recovery. John McCain's Too in late. heaven. Yep. Okay. okay. This is getting weird fast. Okay, so he <laughs> well, Remember how old he was when he ran? Yeah, he was old. Um, but obviously, you can have energy when you're older. Uh, President Trump is 73 right now, I think. Uh, if he were to be reelected, it would be close to... He'd be 74, 78 when he got done. Uh, Biden's 76. Elizabeth Warren is 70. Should this factor in when we're looking at something like this happening to Bernie Sanders? Hopefully, he'll be back on the campaign trail soon. But... When you're older, is that a concern? You obviously have life's um, wisdom from everything you've learned along the way, but do we need somebody younger with more energy and enthusiasm and new ideas, or are we sinking our, all of our ideas into 
an older generation that's so done. I have to tell you that I just like I said in our high school sports everybody's kind of getting bigger and faster and stronger yeah. I for I don't know why I've come to this conclusion but I'm thinking that the 50s are the new 30s I right think they now. are absolutely I just said, I, why I would think that I don't know but I, you're I will tell you 50 this next week well, you know Craig. that might be a blind coincidence Jim you don't know that about me so <laughs> but I will tell you this when Jimmy Carter who's 95 years old yeah says that he doesn't think, ha looking back at having served as president, that uh, if he were 15 years younger, he could handle the job, given its stress and its demands. I think that's enlightening. And what he's saying is if you're, getting, if you're pushing 80, he doesn't think it's the job uh, that, that you can do the job, given all that is uh, required. And yet he's out there hammering nails, breaking on I habitat know. for and humanity he's saying, houses. If I were 15 years younger, I'd be too old to be president. And that's some, coming from someone that's pres that had been president. So... When you look at all the candidates that are pushing 80, I do think that, uh, and, and look, remember Barack Obama? He looked like Will Smith to me. I mean, he looked like as young and as, he, he went like through a time machine. He came out gray hair, looked as old as can be. It's a stressful job. It is yeah. crazy. When you look at presidents, what they look like the day they enter office and when they leave, they age a lot. So someone that's 80 years old or close to it, coming into that job with all the stress, all the things going on, I do think it's, I think it's risky. I do. Is it an issue? I look at President Trump and his hair is just as golden as the day. It's beautiful. It's very naturally blonde. I think he's, <laughs> his the fact his hair just, has not gotten gray. Just as lustrous as it was. Is it an issue? I mean, obviously, everyone's different. I mean, I look at my parents right now and I'm thinking they could run for president. But is there an give age me, where we're like... Give me the, uh, in, in private boards of major corporations... Yeah. Is there one over the last four or five years that has been 75 and has been appointed as the CEO or president? Probably I, I not mean, appointed. I, Maybe if you were I there mean, as a in other words, these boards yeah. that supposedly are smart people and they're deciding who's the best candidate. You don't find them picking people usually over 70. No, and, the hard, and I can't imagine them picking somebody 75. They're grooming people, they're getting yeah. them ready, and then 60, they go zooming along. Um, I just think it's a lot harder when you get older. Yeah. I do. Right. It'll I be interesting. And yet all of the people who are um, leading in the polls are those that are over 70. So... It's apparently what we want here in America. And there's That's nothing wrong getting. with that. That's all we're getting. That's a problem. That's right. Although that Andrew Yang, even though he wants to give everybody like a thousand bucks or whatever, he actually, he really is bucking the, the, the typical Democrat uh, narrative. going on right now. I want him right to come now. have a party he, at my house. And he's young. That's a guy we can, we can depend on to be around for a while because he's a younger guy. But I, I've liked his message and his, and his energy. Uh, yeah. Especially on that field. All right. All kinds of good stuff to talk about. We'll miss you while you're um, down south, very far south. It's going to be a while, too. Yeah, yeah it'll be a little bit. All right. Enjoy yeah. your trip. We'll uh, find do you want anything from Argentina? Um, do they have some really great dark chocolate, gluten-free, dairy-free, and soy-free? I'll have you're some not teaching that. students down there, are you? <laughs> he, he was going to remember he's going to invade an institution of higher learning. Yeah, but and that try was to in Mexico. No, right? no, no, no. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still going to be teaching Mexican students. And so but not I'm not headed to China. For, I mean, I. I, I just can't imagine uh, uh, what the next coming year is going to be. It's I'm going to miss you. Right. Well, I'm miss you so we much. hope you have a great time enlightening minds. We hope you come back with a lovely tan, and we will be missing you while we're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell your friends to listen and subscribe, and we will be back here next week without Jim. So sad. <laughs>